Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. In this week's episode, we dig into my job for the first couple of weeks. I give an update on things that I've learned about sales. And Sean talks about forgiveness and how the book Radical Acceptance has helped him forgive himself and a couple other people in his life. So enjoy the episode, everyone. Welcome to episode 36. It's been a couple weeks and that is mainly due to me. This is James. If you've been listening, you know that I started a job three weeks ago. And in the end of the first week was our last recording. And then the next two weeks, Sean and I could not find a time to meet. Obviously, I can no longer meet during the weekdays. And that was normally when we recorded. We always aim for Monday or Tuesday, sometime between 11 and 1 p.m. But first couple of weeks, I was just training and it was... It was just hard to find a time. Yeah, so the day we're recording this, it's a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, and we found some time. So hopefully we'll be able to get a better cadence moving forward. But apologies, everyone, if you're waiting. Thank you for sticking around and <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Yeah, I guess the big thing is yeah, I started my sales role, an entry-level sales position, and it's taken up the majority of my time. And I still try to write. So my day is now structured where I wake up in the morning and I do some stretching exercises. I walk my brother's dog and I do some free writing and then I just get right into work, power through work for most of the day. And right after work, I try to write. And I've been writing about mainly what I've learned that day, being on the phones or, or some kind of tip that someone had, had taught me. And then I just repeat that five days a week. And it's been, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's been really tough. Is it mostly a nine to five or would you say, does it kind of bleed at all over time? At first it, it bled a little bit, but I'm trying to be much better. So the huge change that I'm, I'm really looking to make is before with any other job, that was my life. I always just worked didn't matter what day it was, what time it was. My intention every day when I woke up was just to go through work. But now I'm trying to have balance in what I do. And I realize that I'm not, I'm still not balanced at all. And even the writing portion, while it feels really good to be able to continue writing every day, it's very exhausting. And I need to find a different way to recharge every day. I haven't found that yet. So if any listeners have a great tip on how to recharge in the middle of the day, I'm all ears. I've tried to meditate in the middle of the day or like go on a walk, but it's so hot here in California right now. Like going outside in the middle of the day is, is really, it's hot. <laughs> Do you take naps ever? No. So I'm someone who cannot fall asleep easily. Hmm. So it takes me a long time to even get to bed at night and a quick 15, 20 minute nap, it doesn't help very much because I, I can't fall asleep. Well, so that's interesting. Well, if there's one tip I can immediately give is changing the idea or 
disrupting the idea that a nap has to be sleep. Actually, in my opinion, sometimes like the best naps are like where I don't fall in deep sleep, where I just fall into like a light rest mode. And there's like a method for doing it that I read. I forgot where. I think it was Jocko, actually. He was talking about power naps and how this high school teacher would just sit in this chair, elevate his feet on his desk, and then he would just close his eyes for like seven, exactly seven and a half minutes or something like that, seven to eight minutes. And then just the act of like elevating your feet above your heart and then just relaxing for like seven minutes was enough of a quote unquote power nap. I will definitely try that. Yeah, give that a try. And if you're laying on bed, just put some pillows under your feet. Just anything to elevate your feet above your heart. I'll just stick my legs on the wall or something. Yeah. I think my my issue is my brain just doesn't turn off. It just keeps running. So that's why I've been trying to meditate in the middle. And that's been somewhat helpful. So in, in this past week, I've been much better at trying to take, like even during lunch, I don't even sit in front of my desk anymore. I just actually go out nice. and eat somewhere else where I don't look at the screen because my eyes hurt a lot. My voice hurts a lot. My voice has been hurting a ton. Do you have calls on Zoom or is it on the phone? It's on the phone. Nice. And we use this software called Outreach and it just plugs in through, it's just through the, the computer. So okay, it's good. Yeah. Wait, so are you calling with your like your podcast mic? No, 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 no. I'm calling with the Apple wired headphones. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, I was gonna say people are gonna be like, is this am I on a podcast right now? Oh yeah. Oh maybe I should try using the mic. Maybe I'll I'll sound much more professional. Oh man. <laughs> that would be hilarious, actually. That's really neat. If you don't mind sharing, what has your job been like in terms of personal growth or new skills that you're learning? So you know how early on, when we first started talking about doing our episodes, you mentioned this a lot, you talked about feedback, how we need feedback to really feel any sort of progress or improvement or just whatever we're doing, right? And what I've realized is sales provides immediate feedback. It seems that could be one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because you get immediate feedback on every single phone call. Whether it's delivered to you or not, you know when you're off the phone what you kind of did wrong, what you could improve on, and especially if they hang up on you. Yeah. Right? It's funny, the first phone call I ever made, actually, the guy hung up on me. Before that happened, I really thought that, that was the end of the world. I thought the worst thing that could happen to me is if I made a phone call to someone and they picked up and they heard what I had to say and they just hung up on me. I thought I would feel like absolute shit. Yeah. But it wasn't that bad. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. It's like, well, what did I do wrong there? And honestly, the phone call was so short, I couldn't have done anything wrong. He just wasn't in the mood to talk. And of course, no one ever really wants to get a cold call. I don't know about you, but I'm sure we both try to avoid those random phone calls like the plague. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what it is. Yeah, but you have to pick up first. When it's a random number, it's very rare for someone to pick up. Mm. So what's like your hit rate typically? How many pickups do you get out of, let's say, 100 dials? That's interesting. I don't know that number exactly. I want to say maybe 30% of my phone calls someone has picked up. Wow. And it actually depends. So when you're calling the main office line trying to get to someone, obviously that the reception is going to pick up or the gatekeeper as, or the executive assistant. But getting through to that person is another thing. 
Mm. And so there are different methods around that. And it's like, you actually don't want to talk to the executive. You want to talk to someone who's much more specialized in using the product that we're creating, right? You want to get to that person. Sure, the decision maker and the person who is actually going to sign off on the product and, and getting into a partnership might be the executive. But at first, you need that specialist, that like expert in whatever to agree to it first. And so the goal is to find that person. And let me just back up and explain my role for people who are listening. I'm a sales associate, or they're also called SDRs. It's outbound sales. So you're just essentially cold calling. And it's a very entry-level position. A lot of companies have these. Actually, most companies probably have these where someone's on the phone and they're just making phone calls every day. To give an example, or to set some kind of idea, I'm ramping up right now. And my goal at the end of my training is to be able to make, on average, about 60 phone calls a day, which is a lot. When I first did this two weeks ago, when I first tried this, I had a full week where I was trying to make phone calls maybe three days. I started on like a Wednesday or something and I only made 40 and I thought I was on the phones all day. You slowly just adapt into, I think a lot of the reasons why I was afraid to make a phone call is just, I was afraid of sounding stupid. I was afraid of not knowing what I was talking about. I was afraid of actually reaching the person and really stumbling my way, stumbling through what I was going to say, worried that they're going to ask me a question that I wasn't sure how to answer. But every phone call, And every single time I talked to someone, I felt a little bit better. And the beauty of this position at this company specific, I don't know about other places, but I really believe that the entry-level sales position where you're just making phone calls, the first few months is honestly just learning from failure and just trying to fail as much as possible and just trying to get out there and talk to anyone and sound like an idiot and sound stupid or get hung up on or just not know answers or not know what to say or run into objections you never heard. I think the more situations that you run into that, the more times that you can feel after the call, like, oh, I didn't know that. I think that is the way that this role you can be successful in. Yeah. Plus it's B2B sales, right? It's not B2C. You're not calling me to sell like life insurance. Yeah. It's B2B. So it's much easier. Yep. But this week, this week I made 228 phone calls. Wow. Yeah. And so on Wednesday and Thursday, I made 55 and 52 respectively. It was a lot. My voice hurt a lot. Yeah, I just did the math. To make 60, that's pretty much one call every eight minutes. Something like that. Yeah. But you have to also understand that most of these times, these guys weren't picking up. So it would go straight to voicemail or, you know, I talked to an executive assistant. I wouldn't be able to get through. And that's okay. I just try to get someone on the phone. And there's like really small things that I'm trying to get over. For example, we'll have three numbers for one guy, right? Like for you, Sean, you could be reached out your cell phone. Maybe you have a alumni number and maybe you have a clever number. Initially, I was really afraid to call these numbers back to back to back Hmm. because what if they see my phone number pop up and they know that it's a sales call. But after about a week, I just don't have fear of doing that anymore. That's good. Yeah, which is like, very small. It's a really, really small lesson or small confidence boost that you just eventually kind of figure out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, stuff like that. And my pitch, my introduction has changed a lot. And it's been really helpful to write about everything. 
I tried to recap every night, like what I learned, what was the big lesson that I took away from today. My team and manager have been really, really helpful. They've been letting me shadow a lot of the team members. And so I listen to them. I watch what they do. My manager sends me tips. And after really hard situations where I've run into a situation where I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. And the guy was like, all right, see you later. And that was it. It was very clear that I was a, I was a rookie. <laughs> yeah. I debrief with the manager and he tells me, okay, well, that's normal. These are the things that you could have done. And I apply that tactic or those techniques right after on the next one and they work. Are your calls recorded where your managers can like hear them? In different states, yes, but California, you can't, it can't be recorded. Yeah. California has some kind of rule. But if you're calling other states, it can be. It is recorded? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we have a bunch of recordings that I can listen to of other people, my other colleagues who have done very successful phone calls. And so we have a list of those. And my manager sent that over to me to like take a look. And so I, I like listened through those and it's been helpful. Cool. Do you have any kind of um, a network of colleagues aside from managers that you engage with? My team in my market, in the California market, there are six of us or seven of us. Yeah, we have stand-ups three days a week. There's a lot of team meetings. The managers really try to be very transparent in what's happening with the company. And so every Monday they have a company-wide stand-up where everyone goes on Google Meet. Like there's a California-specific team meeting for the sales team in California every Monday as well. So you got to make 60 calls even after these meetings. <laughs> yeah. So there are some days where it'll be tough, but it's crazy. I look at other people's numbers and some people can make 80 to 90 a day. Yeah. It's nuts. So I, I get to chat with someone next week about his process and he, he's new too, but he is just crushing these numbers. And I'm so curious how he's doing it. How does he stay engaged, like present, motivated, and how do you just power through all this stuff? And sometimes he has a ridiculous amount of phone calls. I mean, he's on the East Coast. So by the time I log on, he's like hit his numbers for the day. It's so nuts. So I'm really curious what he does. But there's like hitting like the, okay, I made 60 calls and versus like, all right, I made 60 calls that actually turned out 10 conversations. What is kind of the measurement for success, quote unquote? Like what is success? How's that defined? Yeah, so hitting your metrics is one thing, but the biggest metric is the number of meetings you can book for the sales directors. So our goal isn't actually to sell anything. Our only goal is to get them interested in meeting with another person to hear about the product. And what is that target? I don't know if you're allowed to share. It's nine a week. Oh, okay. So I guess in context of that guy who's crushing it, he needs to basically book two meetings a day. Yeah. And that's considered crushing it. Yeah. But it's hard. Right. There's only a few people in the, in the company who like have hit those numbers. So let's say he makes like 80 calls a day and he's able to book two meetings a day. That's kind of the, the definition of success. Yeah. Okay. It's so straightforward. I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> because you know if you're doing good or bad. No, that's, that's amazing. If I were to take a guess, he probably just powers through and just like quickly filters out like who's actually willing to convert or book a time and then just glosses through the rest of them. That's what I would do. 
after a while you get a sense of like how to quickly assess if this conversation is going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Just be like, all right, I'm going to book a time. I think the really, the really good ones will know. There's a lot of things I don't do right now. So my approach in the first couple of weeks has been just grab any company and find anyone there and then call all of them. You can find ways to make sure that this company is going to be worth calling. Hmm. Like you can look at their look at their website, see what they do. You can look at their factory to see how big their factory is. The really good ones do this in, in a matter of minutes. They look at the company and they're like, they already have an idea. Oh, this one could be really, really good person to talk to. Mm, I see. But for me, my goal isn't that right now. My goal is just to figure out how to talk to people, how to communicate with them, how to speak with this confidence in what I'm saying, because I, I don't have any of that very early on. And you can only gain that with practice, with live practice, which is also a really tricky thing. There's a chance to hit like a good live practice, right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe you get lucky and you meet someone that is willing to talk to you long enough. You can kind of try out different things and see what works and see what doesn't. And even those meetings where it doesn't work, or even those phone calls where it doesn't work, and they're just grouchy or they don't want to talk to you or it's very clear that they're not interested, even that is really good practice. And I feel very guilty talking about how talking to prospects is practice, but it really is. But I also really believe in what the company does. I think that is also a key factor in being a good sales person. You have to be selling a product that you personally believe in, that you yourself would use. And that comes off in the way that you speak to people. Because if you don't believe in the product or you know that it's a scam, like how are you going to sell that? Yeah. So that's been helpful too. That's cool. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I think that's exciting that, you know, you have this opportunity to learn these sales skills and just to challenge yourself in this way. I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. And it's only been three weeks, but it's been good so far learned a lot. I also, I'm beginning to realize that it's more about, you know, before I always thought that sales was like influence and persuasion, but I actually think it's even just simpler than that. It's just clear communication. And it's not that you're trying to influence someone or persuade them. I mean, I guess partially you are, but it's more open communication, being very direct and honest about what you have and what your intentions are and what the outcome could be. And if all of those kind of matches with the client and they're able to understand that what you're providing is is a value to them and you confidently believe that, then it can lead to a, a further discussion where you can dig further into whether it matches with the company or not. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Or to add to that, you just talked about it's figuring out what their needs are too, right? Figuring out what your counterparts' needs are and making sure that you're providing the right value points or value add. Because every company, every service has a lot of different things to offer. It's not just one value offering usually. And so trying to figure out kind of it's like matching A to A, B to B sort of thing. And then it's definitely like an interesting skill to have to be able to do that very quickly. Yeah, you nailed it. To be able to do it quickly. I realize a lot of the conversations, you can't be thinking about what you're going to say. I know this sounds kind of backwards because you always have to be like, thinking about what you want to say, what your pitch is. But when you said that you have to be very quick in these responses, 
it's almost these immediate kind of trained responses to certain cues. Yeah, like reflexes. Yeah. And that is really difficult. Yeah. Like I still have notes on my screen about what I'm supposed to say at which time, you know, the scripts that they give you. I'm like, oh, practice a script. But a live call never follows a script, but it follows certain topics or it follows certain objections that you're going to get. And so you have to be able to react instinctively to that without thinking about what to say next. And you also have to be very present to what that person is saying. You have to be listening to them. And it's hard to listen and be thinking about what to say next at the same time. So those are just things that I'm learning even outside of sales about how to communicate and just starting with being very present with what their needs are and trying to get them to open up and just talk to me about what their problems are. Because then you can find out what their problem is and then you can give a solution. If you don't know that they have a problem or not, there's no solution to give. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That's a lot of also, you know, what I've been practicing from the book as well. Funny enough, coincidentally enough, just being a better listener, being more present just with myself, Mm -hmm. not just listening to other people, but listening to myself, Mm. listening to when I am upset or worked up about something and just being present with myself to untangle that, that angst or annoyance or whatever it is. Oh, I like that. Yeah. One of the interesting things that we haven't talked about radical acceptance in a while, but I actually just finished the book and I was listening to this other book too at the same time. because I was, I could only listen to so much of this book at a time, (laughs) like one sitting. I was listening to this other book, Inner Engineering by Satguru. It's like one of my favorite gurus. Oh yeah. You brought it up a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But this radical acceptance book just would definitely have to figure out a way to come back to it and talk more about it because the book definitely gets even more interesting as it continues along. And circling back to what I was just talking about two minutes ago is this idea of, of forgiveness. And, you know, we are constantly making mistakes. We're constantly learning from our mistakes, but there isn't a lot of grace that we give ourselves in these moments. And she like teaches this method to just forgive yourself, to be able to forgive yourself and other people. That's like one of the things I've been trying to practice and really reflect on in my meditations. Can you share the technique afterwards? Yeah, I I can share right now. I mean, the the technique is just forgiving yourself, you know, (laughs) or (laughs) for a lot of weird things that I'll give a concrete example. So there are times where like we act, quote unquote, act out of line, or we get upset at people close to us because we're being short for any number of reasons, whether you're tired or you're just like stressed from other things and, and you kind of get short with the people closest to you who did nothing other than just be there. And like, it's really difficult to forgive yourself because you feel like you're letting yourself off the hook. That's the mental thought. If you're just like, oh, it's okay, Sean, it's okay to be a dick to James. It's like, no, it feels wrong. But the book really stresses this and it took me a while to realize this. It's really important to forgive yourself and be aware of it because otherwise it's really difficult to move on. It's really difficult to correct that mistake and apologize to James if I did you wrong. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? It's like, if I 
don't forgive myself. I keep beating myself up. You're like, hey, Sean, like, why are you such a dick? Why are you being so weird? Why are you being so mean? Right. It just like becomes this internal cycle of focus where I'm just focusing on what's wrong with me versus like, okay, Sean, like, you were short because of this. I'm not saying it's right to do that, but I forgive you for doing that. Like, let's move on from it internally now. Then I can go focus and go apologize to you and be nice to you. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And it's such a weird paradox. And it's a way to get out of your own head because otherwise you're just stuck in this vicious loop of self-blame or self-attack. Yeah. And this idea of practicing forgiveness obviously has to start with you. And even if somebody, this is where I was picking up from, even if somebody else did something bad to you, you're supposed to forgive them. And that's really hard. I'll give you a concrete example. There was this like girl that I know, and I don't hold grudges. I'm not known to hold grudges against people because I think it's a waste of time. <laughs> okay. But there is this one person that I can think of that I like I have had a grudge against. Actually, there's, there were two people. One was like an ex-girlfriend. One was like this, this girl. And I can talk about both. <laughs> and I was holding a grudge against this person because she had done one of my friends wrong. She had like, this is actually a classmate at like Berkeley, like not a personal relationship or anything like that. She had like done us wrong, basically done my friend wrong. And I was just like really livid and pissed at her. And I remember when she called me to like talk it through, because I was just like so livid about it. I was just berating her. Like I was just yelling at her. And you know me, like that's. Yeah. Doesn't sound like you. I don't have really that kind of personality, but I was fucking like, I just let her have it. And for the longest time, like I just been holding this because I felt really guilty afterwards. Mm -hmm. I was always debated, like, do I call her up or text her something to like apologize? And at the same time, never want to feel like I gave her, I want to give her any kind of satisfaction that it's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but I continue to live with this angst. Like I can't get this person like off my mind because I'm holding on to this thing so tightly. And so after reading the book, the first thing I did was forgive myself. I was like, Sean, I forgive you for yelling at her. I forgive you for berating her. Can we fucking move on now? Like just <laughs> between me and me. Yeah. How did that feel though? Did that feel different? It felt fantastic because I stopped feeling guilty about me, about what I did. Now, I know this, if we just stopped at this moment of recording, everybody would be like, all right, cool, Sean, you let yourself off the hook for being a dick back to this person who was also a dick. So, you know, it's a wash, right? That's not the point. The point is I let myself off the hook because then it created the space for me to forgive her. Mm. To say, hey, you know what? I forgive you for what you did to my friend. And whether or not I communicate this with her, it's irrelevant, but it's off my psyche. Hmm. What I do after this, I think is irrelevant, honestly. I could write her and apologize, or I could just forget about it, <laughs> you know, and move on. Like, yeah. I don't need to interact with this person, right? Clearly, like, it wasn't like a public thing where I was like crucifying her publicly. It was just a private conversation. And frankly, like, I'm okay that we never talk again, but I wanted to stop feeling guilty about what I did to her. And was it enough of a lesson where like, I don't want to do this again to other people? Yes. I totally don't want to repeat this, but I was hanging on to this guilt that even though she did somebody else wrong, I did her wrong too, but I couldn't forgive myself. And I definitely couldn't forgive her. Yeah. 
And the reason why you were able to forgive her is because in some way, forgiving yourself made you kind of realize that maybe she didn't mean to, or maybe like she's just human too. And she also just made a mistake. Yeah. And that, that is actually, there's a, not a trick, but there's a method in the book Tara Brock talks about where if you have a really difficult time forgiving somebody, just think of them as like a baby. It's really easy to forgive a baby. Yeah. Not to try to belittle that person, but try to humanize that person more. Another way that I personally really enjoy that she's suggested was to think of somebody who really loves this person. So I thought of this girl's mother. I'm like, yeah, this girl's a, a B-I-T-C-H, but yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure her mother like just loves the heck out of her. And when she's around her own mother, she's like very loving and like human. Yeah. And you just think of that moment and then you humanize this person. You're just like, you know what? I can forgive you. There's goodness in everybody. She obviously goes into some extreme examples of like, even like murders and rapists. Like, I think the key here between forgiving other people and forgiving yourself is the same, is that you can't move on until you forgive. You can't move on to the next step to fix something or to do something differently or to like help this person like change for the better or something, anything, or help yourself change for the better until you forgive. I brought up this other example of this other person that I like immediately thought of when I was reading the book of like an ex-girlfriend who like, probably like, I think she's like the only girl who dumped me, right? Uh-huh. She didn't dump me because of any particular reason other than maybe like she was already like in another relationship, I think like a long existing relationship, but I always held a grudge against her uh-huh. for just ending our relationship because I guess she wanted to get married to somebody else. And I just couldn't forgive her and just always hung on my, on my mind. Not like on a daily basis, but like periodically, right? Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I forgive you. And that was that. <laughs> like, I'm not just saying it verbally. Like, I really felt it. I forgave this person like from the bottom of my heart. And that's all I needed to do to escape this trance, to escape these psychological handcuffs that we put ourselves in. And that's the crazier thing is that we put ourselves into these. Yeah. Sure, you could say like, oh, she did that, he did that. And because they did these things, they put us in these handcuffs. Dude, I can tell you, there's plenty of people who have done us wrong that we fucking forgot about that never put us in handcuffs. So that means nobody can put us in handcuffs except for ourselves. And so it was just such a rude awakening to resolve these two things that have always just hung in the back of my mind. And, and I really do feel like it's resolved. Like I've forgiven these people and I've forgiven myself. And I can move on. Nice. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Makes me feel very calm. That's awesome. Hearing you tell that story, I was like, oh, I like that thinking. Yeah. So anyway, I, I still need to go back. Yeah. You haven't highlighted anything. I have so many highlights in this book in my <laughs> Audible account. Uh-huh. I still haven't had the time to sit down to actually go through and highlight it in the physical book itself or earmark it so that we can have conversations around certain quotes and moments, but there are just so many good nuggets in here that I'm just excited about talking about in future episodes. But yeah, that's kind of what's been going on on my end for any listeners. Oh, I do have some news. You know, we're having a baby this Thursday. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. The doctor set the date August 4th. So. Okay. So it's going to be uh, induced. Yeah. It's going to be induced. Yeah. Baby girl's coming out on Thursday. And um, wow. 
That's huge. Sometime on Thursday. We're going to the hospital at 4 a.m. And so she'll come out hopefully sometime throughout that day, if not the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Congratulations, man. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to be a dad, dad all over again. Yeah. You know what's funny, James? Everybody was like, oh, are you going to be able to, to do this, do that, hang out afterwards, right? Like Hesong and, and Jason were like, hey, are you going to still be able to play golf? And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's say that because one, like we do have a lot of help. Like my parents are coming in and we're going to have like four grandparents around. But I forgot something. I neglected something. There's something that I think nature does this to you to make you forget biologically. So you could do this again and again. But it took me a while to realize that, oh yeah, like the first two, three months, like you really don't get much sleep. The baby wakes you up like every two hours. Yeah. And you're just like constantly in this daze of life. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. And it's supposedly miserable, but I don't really remember. I vaguely remember it. I mean, it's definitely worse for the mom because, you know, she has to feed and, and whatnot. Maybe you vaguely remember it because you were half asleep zombie mode for like three months pretty much and i don't i don't remember what life was like i don't remember like if i can actually function and hang out with people and do other things yeah but we'll see it's exciting yeah if we have these recordings on sundays i think we can we can definitely make it work for the both of us okay let's try to stick to a, a weekend schedule then yeah anything else james for this episode before we wrap up no i think this was good yeah, it's a great catch up. Excited to hear kind of how things progress on your side. And I'll definitely let everybody know how, what the new struggles are being a dad again. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to record these episodes and six months from now, you can be like, wait, what? When did we talk about this? <laughs> In a day's entire time. Pretty much. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll let you know. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode. We will see you soon. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>